Well, it is another edition of Unplugged. We look back on this Jekyll and Hyde season that saw a debacle in round five against at Richmond, uh, a game that started competitively in front at quarter time. And uh, before the game, obviously losing Rowan Marshall and Zach Jones hurt the confidence a little bit, but it did once again expose what has now become a trend that's happened twice, where when it's got to be hard for the Saints, they've rolled over and, and copped an absolute flogging, which is a concern, but at the same time, in between those two games, they played some of the best football we've seen all season in steamrolling West Coast. So I guess the question is, could the real St Kilda stand up somewhere soon and start to uh, to rectify things a little bit? But 20 goals, 14 to 7 goals, 6. It was a game that should never have blown out to that magnitude. And that is, even though you're playing the reigning premiers and the competition's best side in Richmond, you've got to be able to be competitive. So that is hopefully what they're talking about. Why, when the acid and the, and the blowtorch is put on them, are they folding? Uh, obviously, against West Coast, they didn't do that, but that was a week after they'd had the, uh, the the stuffing kicked out of them by the media and had another one of those weeks this week, which they've had to share with the likes of Carlton and, and Collingwood and a few other clubs. But it doesn't get much easier. If Richmond are the best team in the comp, then Port Adelaide might be the second best team in the comp, and we play them this week. Uh, having won this corresponding fixture last year, we were the only team to beat them in Adelaide up until the preliminary final of last year and the only team to beat them in Adelaide since the latter stages of 2019. So it's been uh, a tough hunting ground for size, but we have proven that you can go over there and win. We should get Marshall and Jones back for this game. That is the expectation. It looks like Ryder will play minutes in the VFL. There was some belief that they might bring both of the Ruckman back, but... Looks like just the one for this coming game this week. But uh, Nick, as we welcome you back, I know you were uh, on the sidelines last week, Crook, and still battling a little bit now. So good to have you with us, but probably wasn't a bad one to be sick for last week, given what ended up being produced. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a shame. I, I was I was pretty um, pretty devoted to miss that one because, as you guys know, Maddie's matches is, is always something that's that's important to me. Um, so I was was a bit upset to to miss that episode, but um, yeah, given given what happened you know, a couple of nights later, it was probably probably a blessing in disguise. It's uh, not sure I would have wanted to put my uh, excuse me my my point of view that that we were a, a real shot in that game, and um, you know it's it, like you said, it started out really competitive. I thought that that we we ran out there full of fire and full of energy, um, which is the one thing that I wanted us to show. You know, backing up off the the West Coast win. Um, is, is for us to keep that energy on the field. And, and I was happy with that first quarter. You know, it was the first first quarter that we've won all year. And I thought that was a really good sign. And then what happened, you know, halfway through the, the second quarter was was devastating to, to kind of see them just drop their heads. And, and that second half was was incredibly depressing to watch. Um, and it, you're right, in terms of Jekyll and Hyde performances, that that's who we are at the moment. We can put together 40 or 50 minutes of inspired footy and then dish up you know, incredibly lackluster um, disheartening performances like like Essendon and, and Richmond, and it's just, just incredibly difficult to work out where we are as a team and, and what we stand for at the moment. H, your summation of uh, I don't know if you got along to that on Thursday night, but um, yeah, we we're hanging in there. I think we were five points down about seven or eight minutes before half time, and then that was the end of it. Yeah, similar similar to Nick actually. I at work on Thursday and I was feeling a bit crook and I ended up driving to the end of the road and went, no, I'm no good. I'm going home. So it was a bit of a, bit of a lucky turn, I think. So, um, yeah, got home and sat down and put it on. And then about half, halfway through the third quarter, I've gone, 
that was a bit of luck, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't great viewing. Um, as Nick was saying, quarter time, you're thinking, hey, here we go. We're riding amongst this. They looked, they looked up. They looked like they were going to put in a real show, but then it just went downhill from there. I mean, 87-point turnaround after quarter time. It's, yeah, it's, it's not what you want to be seeing. Yeah, the inside 50 numbers, the, the tackle pressure and those sorts of things. It, I'm still saying that it wasn't as bad as, as Essendon, that there was periods of spirited football, but it wasn't that far off the mark. And, yeah, th- those things do ring alarm bells a little bit because you, you have a loss like that against Essendon where the effort's poor. Uh, the expectation or the, the explanation for that loss is not excusable, but you can understand where they're coming from, that maybe they got ahead of themselves and thought, oh, we had a tough loss to Melbourne. We should win this game. They got ahead of themselves. The effort wasn't in the right place. They were immature. They're like, okay, shouldn't happen, but learn from it. They did. They responded the next week and we thought, great, back on track. But then to do it again, that's when the alarm bells, you're like, okay, why did that repeat itself? Like, uh, you can understand. I mean, you're, you're missing seven or eight of your best 22. You're playing the competition's best side. They've got a bit of momentum. They've got a point to prove. You're up against it. You can be forgiven for getting beaten in a game like that. I think everybody would expect that to happen. But you've got to find a way to, to fight those games out. I mean, you can you can be four goals down at halftime and lose by six or lose by 40 points, but battle the game out. And that was the disappointing part. I mean, our percentage just copped another belting, so you've almost got to find an extra win at the end of the season to make up for that. So that, to me, Nick, was the most disappointing thing, was that uh, it got hard and it's going to get hard, but they went home when it did. Yeah, that, that's right. I think, and, and you hit the nail on the head in, in that it, it wasn't as bad as the Essendon game. I think the effort, the effort was there, the energy was there, at least in, in parts of the game. And, and we know that in that Essendon game, you know, we were off from the first bounce. There, there was nothing from that that first second of the game. There was nothing in it. You know, it didn't improve. But there were moments. There were certainly moments, especially in in the first half against Richmond, where where we showed, you know, a bit of heart and and a bit of effort and, and energy, and we were ta- chasing and tackling and and running hard at, at times. And and then for that to just completely drop off in the second half and and turn out the way it did was was um, just really confusing, I guess. Watching watching from home. Just, Kind of wondering how that happened, but I think also it puts into perspective, you know, when the good teams are on and and when they're doing the things that they stand for, and, and we know Richmond, you know, they stand for that that hard run. They don't necessarily win contested ball or or win clearances all the time, which you know, funnily enough, they they demolished us in that in that metric um, on the weekend. But you know, their their uh, their mantra is that chasing hard, that tackling that forward pressure and that wall that they put up across their half back line um, to just stop us, stop us getting past them was they were impenetrable. It was, it was very impressive from an opposition fan to, to see how they set up, how they moved when they didn't have the ball and then how they swarmed forward once they won it. And, and invariably they'd, they'd win it off us when we tried to get past middle of the ground, they'd win it back off us or, or intercept or, or whatever and then the speed at which they counterattacked and and swarmed forward, and almost every time they they end up with a shot on goal. It was you know it showed why they are so good and why they've been so good for a number of years, and really puts that into perspective. So it's not all hope is not lost, um, but I think it also showed you know the difference between well one of the differences from that Essendon to the to the West Coast game was was having Rowan Marshall and, and having him be that link up man from from centre half back to centre half forward and to be able to to compete across half forward in, in the air and, and make a contest. 
And, you know, I tweeted straight after that, that Richmond game that, um, you know, Jack Steele is our best player and he is our best player by, I think, a long way. But Rowan Marshall is probably our most valuable player and our most important player from a structural perspective and, and the impact that he has both in the centre of the ground, but also dropping back your know, third man up in, in the back line and, and being able to intercept Mark and then push forward and, and impact on the scoreboard and impact in that forward pressure kind of metric. He, he's a unique kind of player. There's only a, only a few players that, that can offer his unique skill set in, in the league. And he's just super important. And I think that that showed how important he is to our structure when, when he's not there. The biggest problem I found was every time the ball hit the ground, you'd look and there'd be three Richmond players around. It. That 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 was where you're sort of going, where are we? They, they would just get you picking the ball off so easily every time it hit. Like it would go over the back of a pack, and there'd be three Richmond players sitting there waiting for it. I go, who wants it? It, it? it just got a little bit frustrating thing. And I mean, they got three there. Where where are our players who either should be on them or near them? making the contest on the ball itself. It, it it just got really simple for them, I guess you could say. So they they basically bit the ball up and go, oh, there's another target. Hit that target easy. And the next target. And it sort of it, I don't know whether we're playing a we're playing like a full zone on them or something like that. And you know in Richmond how skilled they are, they'll they'll just pick the eyes out of that. And every time they move the ball forward, we it wasn't we weren't getting in front of them. So it was just, it was just a really frustrating looking at it going, they make it look so easy mm-hmm. and we know we can beat them. We've, we beat them last year. We got close missing a whole bunch of players in the finals last year. So it's not like we're going into the game thinking, Oh, we're going to lose by 15 goals. It, it we were always right in amongst it. And you go through all the stats and everything. We had plenty of the ball. Um, we only had about 30, 30 less possessions in them, but in other st- in other areas we were we actually beat them. Um, well, I was looking at the uh, what was it the um, oh, yeah we had thirty odd more marks in them. But I don't know whether when we got the ball we were panicking, going oh chip sideways, chip sideways sort of thing or. There, yeah, there was, was a bit of there was a bit of that. I remember thinking at yeah. times during that game that for every every scoring opportunity that we had or every entry into 50, we battled, we battled for minutes trying to get that inside 50 entry, that forward entry. And Richmond, once they won the ball back, it was just, you, you said it, they, they went back to yeah. simple footy and they'd been under pressure as well for a couple of weeks. They weren't playing great footy and, and, you know, people were talking about whether this is the end of the Richmond dynasty or, or whatever, but you know, they, they went back to what they know and what they do best and, and they did it really well against us. It felt yeah, like and, 2018, and 2019 a little bit with that ball movement inside 50. But generally the key to beating Richmond is, you know, a large number of uncontested marks because you take the pace out of the game and, and change the tempo. And we, we certainly won that area. But as you said earlier, Nick, we'd compete in the initial contest. And then as soon as we lost the contest, uh, they would spread and we'd be nowhere to be seen. They'd be streaking forward. It was almost like we had the effort in the contest, but then lost the effort as soon as we were beaten in that contest to, to push back and, and try to assist. It was really, really disappointing. And um, it does show. And I don't know, um, you spoke about the importance of Rowan Marshall, which was raised almost verbatim on another podcast uh, very recently, but um, uh, from your comments from a week or so ago, but um, it was, it, it did underline that importance. It shouldn't be that telling from for, for Rowan. It shouldn't be a case that without either Ruckman, we can't compete. And look, 
nothing against Paul Hunter. He's a 28-year-old journeyman, mature age recruit who's had to play against Max Gorn. He's had to play against um, the three-time or three-time premiership ruckman in Nankervis, who's a great player around the ground. And his other matchup, he was okay against a young Matthew Flynn of GWS. But uh, it's been a tough task for Hunter under those circumstances. But he's not up to the level, clearly, of Marshall or Ryder, and we can't expect him to be. But what you've got to hope is that our ability to shark the contest without him dominating has got to be better than it is. I mean, Brisbane beat Collingwood when they had four hitouts for the match a few weeks ago. You can find ways to to overcome those sorts of things where it was very disappointing on our part. Um, our transition out of defence was, was pretty ordinary. Our, our small forwards sort of consistency have been sort of struggling a little bit over the journey. But I guess we'll turn our attention to some votes. Um, it was... Tough when we played Essendon a couple of weeks ago. It was basically Jack Steele and maybe Tim Membry, and we tried to find another. Last week, it was tough in a different way and that we had a stack of players that were pretty good. Uh, it's probably a little bit harder this time. Nick, I might let you uh, kick us off first with your uh, your three, two, ones. Yeah, it was a, it was a tough one. Um, I mean, it was tough in that there weren't a whole lot of worth you know worthy contributors and, and vote-worthy um, players, but I think that ultimately it came down to our three best players on the ground. And I gave the one vote to Nick Caulfield. I thought his, um, his anticipation and the way that he set himself across halfback was really important and, and his placement um, was really important. I think it could have been easily 100 points plus without Hoff. Um, Hunter Clark, I gave two votes. Um, 33 disposals in, in a game where you get beaten by 80-odd points is, is impressive and... and was one of the guys that, that never really gave in, you know, showed that that energy for four quarters. And three votes, I think, you know, every week he's, he's thereabouts. And, and Jack Steele, again, showed why he's why he's our co-captain and why he'll be probably standalone captain next year. Um, he's just our best player. He's our best leader. He leads from the front. He doesn't doesn't speak a lot. He doesn't talk a lot. He doesn't like, I don't think he likes the, the limelight or the attention a huge amount, but, but he, he, his actions speak volumes and and once again he led from the front he, he's our best player H um, very similar but I'm actually giving one to Jack Steele uh, workman as is every week does what he needs to do leads as a captain he is does the great job didn't have as much impact last week as what he does normally uh, it just didn't feel that same he's toweling him up he's really dominating in the middle like it did what he had to do so uh, yeah it's far from his best game this year because he's had some absolute rippers but i'll tell you what it's if you got that every week you'd be really happy um you couldn't ask any more um two i gave the caulfield that's his that's his best game for this year by far um back to where he was last year a bit at field um intercept marks clearances like he, he was one of the players out of the back line who was hitting targets um and that was the one really good thing we'll seen for him I, I think i looked and it was one clanger for him out of his 25 possessions so he's hitting a target every time when he got the ball that and that was that was great to see because he's been under a bit of pressure the last few weeks uh and gave three to hunter clark a shining light in a in what was a pretty ordinary performance um once again 
someone who moved the ball beautifully, found space where he had to find space when it felt like none of our players had any space. And yeah, he, he I think he was our, clearly our best. Ironically, probably three of our players at least played their best game for the year um, in what was a, a shocker. Nick Coffield played certainly his best game for the season. Hunter Clark played his best game for the season as well. I know he hasn't played that well for much of the year, but I thought Jack Loney did enough for that to almost be his best game for the year as well. He kicked a couple in a loss, probably should have kicked four. Um, was a little bit scratchy, but I thought the goal he kicked um, in the third quarter sort of gave us the smallest of small sniffs. He missed one in the first quarter. I just thought his pressure, when guys like Butler have been struggling and others, um, he said he doesn't get a vote, nowhere near it, but... We had a couple of guys that were a little bit better than they have been at other stages. Um, I thought Battle was all right. I thought he was pretty good last week against West Coast, but he had his moments. Um, I actually sneaked Jack Sinclair or snuck Jack Sinclair in for one vote. I think he knows what he's doing every time he gets the footy. I really liked his progress since he came back into the team. I think he had 20 possessions. It wasn't a huge day, but just when he gets the footy, he makes good decisions. He, he doesn't make many mistakes. He's pretty clean. Um, my apologies were to Caulfield and Battle, but I gave um, Jack Sinclair one vote. I gave two votes to Hunter Clark for all of the reasons mentioned, 33 possessions, and um, was a little bit cleaner. I know he made a couple of mistakes, but generally he's one of those players that's the most possessions he's ever had in a game. Now, I know last year was short in quarters, but one thing you need from Hunter Clark is he's he's not Nick Del Sano, but if you remember when Nick Del Sano used to get the footy, it was like he had a fraction more time than other players, and, and Hunter Clark is one of those guys. Down. Yeah, like Scott Pendlebury, not not as good as Scott Pendlebury yet, but when they get the footy, it feels like they've got four seconds when other players have two for, for whatever reason. And it looked a bit that way with him. And, and Jack Steele, just for his consistency, wasn't his, wasn't as good as the previous two weeks, but was clearly at a, at a level that you want to see from your captain all the time. He's leading from the front. He just needs the guys to go with him. Um, you know, he, he doesn't have the profile of some of his teammates, like a Brad Hill, for example. And I know the Brad Hill conversation is one we've had a lot, but I guess we'll have to have it again. But Jack Steele gets three votes. Before we move on to our special guest, the Brad Hill conversation that we will have. Um, another quiet game. Um, there, there was a, some side notes on that, which we might sort of leave alone. And that's some of the personal stuff that was said on social media. I think everyone would agree that's completely unacceptable. Uh, even if we're talking about opposition players, that's completely unacceptable. These guys are, are playing footy. Brad Hill's not going out there to play bad games. He's not going out there thinking, oh, geez, this mob's given me 900k a year. I'm going to take him from a ride. I'll take him for a ride. That's not happening. For whatever reason, he can't consistently get near it. He was one of our best the week before against West Coast, but struggled and, and has struggled in fairness. It certainly hasn't quite delivered on the expectation. Um, but it just comes down to the nuts and bolts. I was having this conversation with a few Saints fans during the week, and that's you almost feel like you have to make a statement and leave him out of the side, but you also weigh it up and think, can you beat Port Adelaide and Adelaide without Brad Hill playing well? Uh, so if you drop him from the side, obviously you eliminate any chance of that happening. So it's almost the case that you, you need your best players at their best in order to win a game like that. So if you drop him, do you sacrifice any chance of winning? So I agree that I wouldn't be making that call. I think certainly with the injuries we've got and without Gresham and Hanabry and those sorts of guys, it's a bit hard for us to leave him out. Um, but he needs a lift. Putting all of that other stuff aside, he, he clearly needs a lift. And um, hopefully this is the, the start of something because, yeah, I think it, it is okay to be frustrated when your highest paid player can't get a kick. Well, I, think well, it's... Oh, I was going to say the... 
With Hill, the upside is that when you play him, they have to put someone on him. That that's the that's where you start from. You're going okay. They have to put a defender, a defensive midfield or winger or whatever on him, because if you don't do that, that's when he's probably going to break you open. We drop him, that player steps down to the next best midfielder. Mm-hmm. So you're kicking yourself in the backside, basically dropping him if you look at it that way. So it's 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 the whole thing of we keep him in because. Yes, if their defender gets on top of him, that means there's someone else that should be able to step up because that defender is not playing on them. So, and if you find that you've, if, if one of our other players starts dominating, they have to move him off Hill. That's when Hill can step up and go, hey, okay, that defender's gone for me now. It's my time, my turn to take. So, yeah, he's the sort of player that dropping can cause you has some problem if you do it. I think there's, you know, there's multiple aspects to this conversation and and this debate, I guess, around whether, you know, whether he he should be in the side or not. And clearly, he hasn't delivered on expectation from, from when he came over from Frio. Um, we know that. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any debate or argument about that. Alternately, what we do know is that he is when he's on and when he's when he's fit, healthy, happy. You know, when he's on, he's incredibly hard to stop, and he's very important to what Brett Ratton wants to do with, with our side and the way that he wants us to play. Um, and I think he's one of those guys that you, you know how important, you know, his, his personality is to the, the, the squad you see in the, the videos that the club puts out and whatever his, his demeanor and his personality is infectious. You know, when he's smiling and laughing, other guys around the club are smiling and laughing with him and, and they want him there. He, he knows that he's not performing to his, capacity i mean he he knows that you can guarantee that that he's working off the field to to rectify that and i think it's one of those times where you just got to get around him and wrap your arms around him and say just you know block out all the outside noise and just go and you know get back to what you do best and that's run hard both ways it's it's you know make sure you turn up and and i think that's where a lot of the 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 discussion is from a a fan perspective and and obviously like you said not going to get into any of that personal stuff because it's it's not on and it's, it's just completely wrong no matter how you want to frame it. It's just, it's just not right. Um, but he's got to get back to the, the basics of what his game is about. And that's, that's running hard, working hard. Um, and even if he's not getting a, a, a hell of a lot of the ball, just to keep presenting, keep, you know, making yourself an option and to keep chasing the other way. Um, and that's, that's what he's got to get back to because he's elite at it when he's, when he's on. Um but the, you know, the good thing is that, that when we play well, he tends to play well and, and vice versa. When he plays well, we as a team play well. He was, he was pretty good round one against the Giants um, in you know, not great conditions. He was, he was pretty good. And he, like you said, he was very good against the Eagles. In both of those games, we, we performed as a team and, and we played as a team and he's integral to that. And we just got to keep, keep getting around him and, and making sure that he's, you know, that, that he's working to, to rectify that. We had a 90s cult hero on last week in Lazar Vidovic. We're going to go to another 90s cult hero and a sharpshooter, one of the most reliable kicks for goal in the history of the game. That is Jason Heatley. Kicks it to half court. Marking contest there, but really in the end, there was no contest. Heatley, can he kick his fifth? He's kicked 4-4. Four, four, goes it back.
Well, the next special guest on Unplugged was a, a cult hero through the late 90s. Had an unbelievable season in 97 on St Kilda's March through to the grand final. It was actually the first number I had on the back of a, a footy jumper when I was uh, 11 years old back at that time. And, and as much as there have been some fine exponents of the set shot at goal, uh, I will go to my grave saying that Jason Heatley is the most accurate kick at goal that I've ever seen play the game. And I uh, had some wonderful times, kick nine against North, kick seven against uh, North in a prelim as well on another occasion, kick seven against the D's in that same 97 season, some, some big bags and was a part of the St Kilda side that got perilously close to winning that drought-breaking flag in 97. Jason Heatley, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, nice to be here, guys. Uh, always happy to uh, to get together with some diehard Saints supporters, so thanks for having me. That's a question I always wanted to start with. So your, your set shot kicking in particular was phenomenal. I know a lot of people have different uh, backgrounds as to how they learnt that craft and how they were taught, etc. Can you take us through, I guess, the evolution of your technique and how you came to uh, to kick the way you did? Yeah, look, it's a really good question. It probably just goes back to when I was little. I mean, I was forever running around with the footy in my hand, forever down the junior footy club, um, kicking the ball around. And, and I suppose once footy got a little bit serious, it was just just about developing a routine that was pretty compact and you know pretty solid and um, you know, I'd like to think that I kicked through the through the footy, obviously, and just had a little bit of pride in my execution. Heater, you mentioned just before off off air that you kind of started in uh, in district footy and and ended up around Fitzroy for a couple of practice matches, and then uh, moving to to WA. Can you talk us through that that process, kind of before you you started with the Eagles? Yeah, sure, Nick. I was a, a mad Fitzroy supporter, so. The obvious dream for me was to, to play a game at Fitzroy. Um, probably wasn't very likely. I, um, I spent a bit of time down there. I might have played one or two reserves games. But I, uh, I found my way back to North Heidelberg in the old Diamond Valley, as it was then, and had a reasonably good season. And I was lucky enough to get invited over to WA um, to play with Subiaco. So I went over there and played the 93 season with absolutely no expectations, to be honest with you. It was... Um, just all about, you know, seeing a, a part of Australia that I hadn't been to before, but probably was um, pretty lucky. I had a really solid year and, you know, I was playing with some good players at that time and, you know, Jared Schofield and Tony God and Metropolis, Al Langdon, these sorts of guys to name a few. And um, I was lucky enough to be drafted at the end of that year and ended up on the West Coast Eagles list in 94 through to 96. Yeah, I reckon I reckon you might be a little bit modest there. It wasn't it wasn't a solid season for Subiaco, was it? I got a couple. Like like I said, I probably got, <laughs> you got a couple. <laughs> I reckon I reckon the record states that it was 113 or 115 or something like that for yeah, the season. You've done, so you've done your research, couple. mate. I'm trying to be modest here, remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no place for modesty here, mate. You gotta 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 relive the good yeah, memories. Yeah, it was good. Look, WA was a great time. It was a really um it was an important stage of my development because, like I said, I, I went there with absolutely no expectations. I wasn't involved in any of the pathways. As a kid, I was always, you know, pretty skinny. Um, so to, to go over there and, I suppose, live a bit of a, a dream and an ambition of just playing out at Subi Oval, you know, that was enough for me at the time. And then this led to that. And, um, you know, like I said, I was lucky enough to get on a very powerful list, you know, at the Eagles and... Um, that's where I really learned and probably became um, a more seasoned player, just being around those older, experienced guys. And 
at the end of 96, I, I was, you know, they, they were keen for me to stay on, but I, I probably just couldn't see an angle into the side to play consistent footy. And that's all I wanted to do, just have one opportunity. So um, made the call to come home and luckily enough ended up at the Mighty Saints. Yeah, I was going to say, obviously, kicking a few goals in the waffle and West Coast watching over the shoulders and going, yeah, okay, we can do this. But did you feel that maybe, did you kind of feel a gap in just those three games you played? Because, I mean, you'd kicked eight goals, so that's nothing to really sneeze at. So is is it, was it just a fact of you kind of going, look, I'm not going to get through this. It's, there's, it's just too much, um, too many players to push out of the way to get that position that I really, really want? Yeah, look, it's a really good point. I mean, it was just stiff competition there. And Peter Sumich, um, at the time, he was, you know, the number one um, key forward in the team, and rightly so. I mean, people in um, Melbourne probably play down how good he actually was. I mean, he was just a super player. And um, 94, I just wasn't ready to play, and that was okay. 95, I was sort of started getting some momentum and got a debut game. Um, got dropped at the end of that game. So that was okay. Got in really late in the 96 season, um, played the last two games and, and probably held my own. I had a reasonable game against Melbourne. And then the next week, I remember playing on Silvani at Subi Oval. And I think I kicked 3-3 three, three or something, but I hit the post a couple of times as well. So could have been five goals at the end of the day. And yeah. then um, that led into the, the finals the next week. And, Summer obviously come back and that was always going to be his spot. So I understood that. I just had to play my role, but it was probably um, post that season where that probably those couple of games gave me a little bit of confidence to probably want to just stick my toe in the water. Yeah, 3-3 three, three and 3-2 three, in those two games. So yeah. 11 scoring shots in uh, in two matches. One thing I will say about Peter Sumich, though, is that if he could kick as straight as uh, as you could, he would have... Um, in 1991, he kicked 111 goals, 89. So he's had 200 shots a goal in a season uh, back then. So you're right, he was obviously a, a super player. Uh, the, the early days at Moorabbin, so I think he kicked eight and seven in the first two reserves games of the year before you kicked five against Collingwood on debut for the Saints. Can you take us through, I guess, your early days at St Kilda and maybe the differences between the clubs? The Eagles were the team of the 90s and obviously St Kilda had gone through its battles. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the most striking difference was you left the setup at Subi Oval that everything was on site and maintained. And then we got down to Moorabbin and we had our portables and we had our little weights room and we're always training off-site at different venues. So that was probably the, the first part that I noticed. But I, I suppose um, that generated a lot of the spirit that the Saints are all about. And I... Um, had a reasonably good pre-season. Um, I can't quite remember what my practice game form was like, but I did, you're right, I did start the first couple of games in the reserves and had a couple of good days. And, um, um, you know, ultimately I probably, um, you know, forced Stan's hand um, to give me an opportunity and really thankfully did against um, Collingwood out at Waverley because that's exactly what I was looking for. I was looking for that opportunity to... Um, to get out there and, and really understand whether one I was going to be capable. And, um, yeah, it was a load of fun that day. You played 20 games in, in 97 and kicked 70-odd goals for the season. What was it like? What was the adjustment like going from kind of a backup reserves player at the Eagles to being and, and becoming a real focal point in the forward line with guys like Spider and Stewie Lowe and, and those guys? Yeah, so it, Barry was, Hall. it was really interesting, Nick, because you, you had those... Um, I mean, at West Coast, I knew my role. And if I was going to play, I knew 
what was expected and the outcome where St Kilda was a little bit of the great unknown initially. You know, you had someone like Lowy who just demanded the forward line and then you had Spider that was floating in and out and you had Barry Hall that was coming up through the ranks as well. So, you know, potentially at times I was getting second, third or fourth batsmen at different times and that's not been absolutely disrespectful to anyone at all, but it probably just let me get a little bit of grounding. Stan was really good with you know, match practice and simulation stuff at training and and was, you know, the one that really, um, sorry, all my coaches had a, a sense of belief in me, but I suppose he was the one that um, stuck with me the longest and, and gave me that extended run at it. So, you know, forever grateful to him. I mean, he's one of the greatest men I've ever been involved with. I mean, say no disrespect to any to any backman or anything, but you seem to like to get a hold of North Melbourne. What, what happened with there? You, they, they were one of the most staunch backlines in the in the competition. You, you just got a hold of them. Yeah, really interesting because at the time I was living in um, Preston, and I used to live ten doors down from the great Martin Pike, who's a really good mate of mine. And um, you guys know Pikey. If you're talking about guys that are a little bit loose, Pikey was certainly one of them. So we used to have some, um, you know, some fun back at home after games. And um, it just so happened I lined up on him a couple of times and got hold of him. Now, let me tell you, he wasn't too happy. So he's chasing me around the neighbourhood there a couple of times. But look, I, I think I just got lucky on those game on those games. I mean, North played a, a style of footy which is very similar to what we're seeing now with, um, you know, lots of run, lots of, you know, gun in the footy, using carry. So the game tended to open up a little bit more and, and we had a little bit of luck against them. And but back in the time, we had a really good rivalry rivalry with um, North Melbourne. I think I think by memory they beat St Kilda in the 96 night grand final or did the Saints win that one? 97. Yeah, yeah. So there was a couple of big games that they played in and then that carried through to you know, 97 and then into 98. So um, some good rivalries and, and some good fun. But, yeah, just, I mean, they had some great players, you know, Martin and Archer and these sorts of guys. Arch whacked me one, one game at a Waverley. Think you'd had enough of me by then. <laughs> yeah, he kicked nine against them, seven in a prelim, six at Marvel against them. He kicked five against them in Sydney as well. So you did uh, did get hold of him a few times over the over the journey. Was there a key moment in, in 97 for you personally where you thought, I mean, was it five on debut against Collingwood? Was it the five against Richmond a few weeks later or, or even the big bag of nine against North? Was there a day where you thought, yeah, I've, uh, I belong at this level? Um, look, it probably just the consolidation of that first game against Collingwood, just to know that I could compete for a, a period of time. That was important to me, and that just gave me some confidence to be able to, I suppose, train harder, be more involved in the psyche of the game and the preparation. So that was probably the time that I felt that I belonged. And I remember Aussie Jones we were having a game of table tennis <laughs> one night, and the... Uh, he actually said to me from the end of the table, he said, oh, you know, this would be the first week that you've ever felt confident about your position in the side. And I sort of thought about it and I thought, you know what, he's absolutely right. So, you know, the games that I played previously, I always was wondering if I was going to be in the next week or straight back out of the side. So that gave me a, a sense of accomplishment and, and it certainly, um, you know, told me that Stan had me back as well. Peter, we've spoken to a, a few of your teammates from from that season, and you know, notably Harves and and Berkey yeah. and Stewie Lowe, Spider Everett, Aussie Jones, etc. And for each one of those guys, there was kind of a moment in the season, as we all know, it was, it was a fairly indifferent start to the '97 season. Yeah. Was there a moment for you that it kind of all clicked, and you kind of went, 
shit, we can we can do something special in, in this year? I think the the game we played Richmond out at Waverley was really important to us. Um, for one, it was just one of those days that was just out of the box. It was beautiful. Weather conditions were great. And I, I think it was, a, it was an Easter Monday, if I recall, maybe. I'm, I'm not quite sure now. Like that, yeah. But um, I remember driving there and traffic was just bedlam. Like we had guys running late to get into the ground. And um, there were over 70,000 people there that day. And for us, that wasn't normal. So um, Richmond jumped us. They got away to an early start. Richo was catching everything. He had... Um, Maxi on toast there for a little while, but then we just ground our way back in the game and we ended up getting them pretty easy. And it was probably from there on, we really got on a roll. And, you know, we watched these young kids, you know, and everyone talks about, you know, Smith, Jones, Lappin, you know, um, all these guys. And those guys just developed before everyone's eyes. And then when you coupled it in with the top end, you know, Berkey, Lowy and Halves, um, all of a sudden we just had a really good mix that was playing, we were healthy. You know, we had the two big guys in the ruck, you know, Laser and Spider. I mean, they, they just, they were just devastating stories that, um, you know, led into that final series and, you know, then losing Spider in the first final. But, yeah, we, we just got on a roll and we actually fouled up and about. We had each other's backs and we were playing some exciting footy. It was actually good to watch and good to be a part of, you know. And for the older guys, you know, you know, Nicky and, and the boys, it was just a fantastic moment. How hard, how hard was it to get out of the way of a, of a kick from halves coming out of the centre? It, it was it was a trace of bullet. It was not going to miss you if you were leading the right direction. Um, yeah, he was pretty it, good, wasn't he? Did, did he ever miss you? Um, no, I'd have to say no. I mean, look, I've, I've played with some absolute great players and if I had to put one on the absolute pedestal just for what he does, you know, it was halves and just his work rate and, you know, the little shimmies using his hips and his hands. And but we had some pretty good ones there as well. You know, Aussie Jones wasn't too bad and Nicky Winmar and, you know, Jack Daniels would want me to give him a plug, but we'll pass on that one. We have had Jack on as well. And I'm sure, I'm sure he would even admit that, but um, as you say, we ended up winning nine in a row going into the end of the year. You finished fourth in the Coleman that year behind uh, Tony Modra. You kicked five yeah. in the first quarter against Melbourne on a Friday night. It looked like you were going to kick 18 that day. Ended up with... <laughs> Seven, kick five the next week when we wrapped up top spot against Port Adelaide uh, in Adelaide. Um, you got injured in that first final as well from memory with the ankle, yeah. but uh, got through and uh, take us through preliminary final night because I remember even as a kid, we, we got north on a Friday night at the MCG in the wet, which was considered to be a disaster by most people in the media. They thought, oh, that suits north down to the ground. They're the Friday night masters, the wet weather masters. Uh, you, but we basically never gave them a sniff, belted them. You kicked seven. Can you sort of take us through your memories of, of what was a pretty good night? Yeah, look, it was a really interesting day because you're right, it rained all day. Um, you know, and just for, you know, our team, uh, it probably didn't suit us to be sitting around all day just waiting for the game to come because it was obviously a night game. And we hadn't played um, for a couple of weeks since the Brisbane game because we got the week off after winning that first final. So, it was a little bit surreal in that expectation. And, you know, I remember looking out the window thinking, oh, you know, come on, pull up. But it was just what I really remember about getting to the ground there that night and, and walked up the races. When actually got to the ground, the rain had just cleared. So it was gone. And all of a sudden, you know, within um, 15 minutes, 
you know, the ground was starting to dry up. So I think that that just gave us a, a really good sense of expectation that we could go out and play our style, even though it was a, a bit slippery underneath. Um, the rain had cleared, and you're right, we were we were pretty good that night. I mean, um, Corey obviously, you know, hurt his shoulder, so devastating for him, but it, it probably helped us as well, um, you know, on the back of losing Laser and, and Spider. Um, so, yeah, it was a really surreal night, and I just remember the joy on people's faces, you know, as we were, uh, we're walking off the ground and, um, you know, just the realisation that we're going to play in the grand final and, you know, we had to go through the week that we did. Um, so, yeah, it, it was sensational. It was a really proud night for the footy club. You mentioned how wet that was, and Nicky Winmar took what should have been probably Mark of the Year in that match. It's, yeah. it did, were you far from when that where that happened and, like, I'm pretty sure you'll say, yes, it was a mark, but how how good did it look from the ground? Yeah, so he, it was just up on the half-forward flank, if my memory serves me correct. And I, I lived with Cuz at the time. I lived with Cuz and, and Roddy Keogh, so, you know, that was a good household as well. But, yeah, he was Adam and he caught it. Nicky didn't do a whole lot wrong out in the ground, but, look, he was just a magician. And, I mean, he got going that night as well, and um, it was a real special night for him. You, you touched on grand final week and, and what that was like. What are your what are your kind of biggest or strongest memories from that week? Obviously there was some some really heartbreaking kind of tragic stories out of that week yeah. as well. And obviously, you know, on a footy on a footy side, no spider, no no bit of it. What what was that week like and 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 what was the the mood amongst the playing group? Um well something that we hadn't experienced. So it was just absolute excitement in the group. So the playing group were fine. Um, you know, we'd come to terms that laser was obviously done. Um, there was always lots of talk around Spider playing, but Spider was never going to play. That that was just the reality of it. So we'd come to a sense of peace about that pretty early in the week. Um, remember the club had literally everything organised for us, you know, right down to down to the bus into the to the uh, parade on the Friday. Um, yeah, look, there was a lot going on. I mean, there's, there's other things that were happening throughout the course of that week that we weren't privy to, and, and nor should we have been, but um, that's all part and part of it. Um, you know, everyone, you know, there's not too many weeks that go by in AFL footy where you don't have some challenges and, and um, you know, people handled them as best they could. And, and, you know, I'm more than comfortable to say that we left nothing out there. You know, we could have got hold of them just before half time. We... Well, probably one goal off really um, maybe putting them away, you know, and I know that's hard to say 20 years later, but, you know, if we had been four or five goals in front at half time, would have been, could have been a totally different story. They got the last two of the second quarter and then you just saw what a magician like Jarman was able to do and it was no one's fault. Um, he just got going and it was their time. We had a few injuries, as you say, but you've sort of created a segue, and apologies to bring the mood down uh, with that one, but obviously you've kicked the first two of the game. Uh, Barry Hall got on a roll at the start of the second quarter, and I remember you took a, a, a mark at a pack of about five yeah. midway through the second quarter after we kicked three in a row, and um, I've often stewed over this in my head that uh, you had a really tough shot at goal from about 50 metres out, maybe a step in from the boundary, Struck it beautifully, and just as it was fading, it hit the inside of the, hit the post. Post, I know, and it would have put us twenty-two points in front. Does that ever float back through your mind and think, 
Well, geez, that was almost the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, well, you really dulled the mood, mate. Sorry. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Like, yeah, I, I remember that kick um, as if it was yesterday. And you're right, I, I hit it sweetly. And then for whatever reason, you, you're spot on. It just faded sort of left to right. And that wasn't my normal um, action either. And sort of praying for it. But, yeah, look, it just scraped the inside of the post. But, um were those moments and that's what I was talking about before you know if we had taken a few of those I think um can't remember but might have been one of the on ballers missed a goal as well and you know all of a sudden that could have been that four or five goal lead that we were looking for and they got a couple towards half time and the momentum changed and swung and what I found unbelievable about that day was just the irresistible tide you know we've worked on so many things about being able to shut the game down slow a side down work on some strategies, hold the ball, but it was just an overwhelming wave of emotion that was just coming over the crowd. I mean, you guys will remember, it was just insane out there. I've never experienced anything like it. Well, speaking of emotion, we'll try and try and lighten the mood a little bit from that day, but there, there was one moment that, I mean, most St Kilda supporters will not watch that game. Yeah. Will not watch. But there's one highlight from that game that that almost every Saints fan will watch and won't hesitate to watch again. And Aussie Jones run down the, the wing and, and goal um, is probably one of my favourite moments in, in footy. What was that like being on, on the ground and, and being around that and the, the crowd noise and the atmosphere when, when that sailed through? All right. So we've got to put this on record. I think he had three opportunities to hit me up, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, my, my game wasn't based on multiple leads and Stan kept drilling it into me. But there was three, three times at least I remember changing direction. But that's just what he did. He just carried the footy. He had no fear. He was a, a, a brilliant kick of the footy. But he's kicked it on his left foot too. And that's what people, you know, don't remember. There's also special skill involved to be able to do that. And, and when it went through, you almost had the sense of, you know, it's going to be our day here today. Um, but again, you know, we don't want to hark on it. But that, that's a grand final moment that you'll never forget, I suppose. The challenge for Saints supporters is we see it every year in September. Yeah, um, we do. Yeah, it always gets brought up. But look, he, he was just a ripper and he had a wonderful career for the Saints. So going into the next season, did you find yourself, you changed the way you were going to do anything or the way the team were looking at how they wanted to move forward? Did did, did the game plan sort of evolve into anything different or did you just yeah. sort of go, not that that worked last year, we'll try again? Yeah, look, we, we certainly tinkered with a few things. Personally, I went in and had some shoulder surgery. I major, um, I was a quarterback, so reconstruction back then. So it took me a while to get up and going, but the guys worked really hard and we were, you know, really hungry, hungry to atone for what happened. And, you know, we felt that it was just going to happen again, to be honest with you, that we'd be around the mark. And um, we started off really well. You know, I think we got to, Darren, you guys can correct me on three. Yeah, I think we're on top of the ladder, a couple of games clear. Um, and then we had a, a debacle out at, out at Waverley when um, we are playing Hawthorne and we were just a long, long way in front. And, and um, you know, somehow we just managed to lose that game. And we're never really the same after that, to be honest with you. And we really couldn't put a finger on why. I mean, Stan stand you know he was passionate he was hungry he was enthusiastic he was you know he was a hard man uh, 
But yeah, we just seemed to to lose a bit of rhythm, and even you know the finals. You know, we lost to Sydney in um, up there by just a couple of points, and really late too. And and then we went to the MCG to play Melbourne, and that was Shanna's. I think that was his first game against us because I'm not sure if he played in the home and away game. I can't remember now, but. Um, yeah, there's a whole range of emotions and they just got hold of us early and we just never got back. Before we knew it, it was all over. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it did blow out reasonably quickly, that game, unfortunately. Um, for, for you personally, 98 wasn't too bad. You ended up kicking, I think, 48 to 50 goals yeah. that season. And then as the side fell away, a lot of people sort of, sort of lost their, their rhythm as well. In terms of your own sort of career, do you feel that maybe the instability and the changing of coaches might have brought about a premature end and that had there been a bit more stability, you might have stuck around a bit longer? I think that's when the game started to change as well. There's probably more emphasis put into the, the running and the aspect of getting up the ground. And and that, you know, with the greatest respect, was never really my forte. Tim, uh, Tim come into the club and... You know, had some ideas on how he wanted to to go about things. Um, you know, so it wasn't through lack of opportunity. I, to be really honest with you, you know, I was probably coming towards the end. I thought 2000, I, I had a really good preseason and and probably wanted to prove a point. But um, you know, we were struggling. We'd had a lot of turnover of our playing group as well, and there was a little bit of um, you know, there's a bit of argy bargy going on, you know, off the ground as well at different times. Not that that should impact you. Um, but, yeah, we, we never really recovered. And um, at the end of 2000, um, you know, I, I knew what was coming and I was totally comfortable with that. And, um, and that was my time at the Saints, but, you know, just a, a time that I'll never forget. You, you mentioned earlier in, in the chat about your respect and, and admiration for, for Stan yeah. Alves. What was what was his departure like on you personally, as well as the team, and 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 how was Tim Watson when he came, and what was your relationship with, with him like? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's a tough one to answer. Um, I just had admiration for Stan. Um, you know, Stan's history in the game and and what he'd done, and his ability to coach St Kilda for a long period of time, and then for him to be able to produce a side that was that close to to pulling one off. Um, and when he left, and look, I, I think everyone's probably read his book, so everyone can have their own opinions on, on what happened. But from a playing group point of view, it was devastating. You know, we were we were devastated with it. But, um, you know, we were, we were promised and we were told that, you know, there was going to be a, a more than adequate um, replacement. And, you know, Tim's... Um, Tim's resume from the playing point of view was just second to none. So, you know, when we found out it was him and, and we had some brief contact with him um, when he first came into the club because he was still doing his um, his news work and he was really upbeat, really boisterous about how we wanted to go about it and, and knew the path that we wanted to go on. But, um, you know, history says it didn't quite work out, but it certainly wasn't Tim's fault at the end of the day, I mean. I think that there's a lot of um, things that probably just worked against him and worked against the club. And, um, yeah, for, for whatever reason, um, unfortunately, the Saints had to go through a little bit of pain, but then it led to that next era, you know, the, the Rewalts and, and the Kixies and all those guys coming through. So a little bit of pain certainly paid off in the end. One thing that did come out of the, the 
Timmy dynasty, I guess, is you, you spent a bit of time on the sideline in 2000. So you would have spent a bit of time with the coaches and that sort of thing. There was an yeah. assistant coach there, Clarko. Yeah. Did, did you see him being the super coach that he'd become in the future? And did, oh, look, any chance look, that we at, may at have time, actually kept I, him at some point? Yeah, at the time, it's probably, you'd probably have to say no because you're just worrying about the senior coach and making sure you're getting your roles and routines right. But one thing that Clarko wanted to be involved in was all the match practice, you know, and he used to throw his body around in, you know, him and Bevo used to go head to head and they're still doing it now, you know, all this time later. But um, yeah, just what a story. I mean, phenomenal footy brain. And, you know, we had Rodney E down there at, at the same time. And, and another guy who I hold um, and, and rate really highly is Andy Collins as well. And, I only have to look at his coaching resume that he's got on the back of leaving the system and coaching, you know, in state leagues and his long stint at Williamstown. I mean, we were, we were really lucky. We were probably ahead of our time um, back then to have that quality. And, you know, then Grant started to to emerge um, sort of on the back end of, you know, some in a support role with Tim. And and um, he's probably the, the one that um, people probably misread because – I think Grant coached like most of the coaches are coaching now. It was really that managerial style of coach. Um, so he was probably ahead of his time. I mean, he's a very smart businessman, Grant. So, um, you know, we learn a whole lot from just some great people and, and we're really lucky to have him. You mentioned Andy Collins. He got pretty close, close to that North Melbourne job, which has been occupied by uh, David Noble now. So he's been around the mark. The, the final one from me, um, as we say, some some terrific times at the Saints. So your journey since then, and I guess your your observations of the Saints and, and how close you've stayed in, in contact with them as a supporter and a, and a former player. I know you obviously went to Tassie and then you've come back and coached in your old league and won premierships with uh, with Northgate and, and now back at, at North Heidelberg where it all began. Can you sort of track your journey and uh, I guess tell us how, how you've uh, monitored the Saints as well? Yeah, look, I, um, I I still keep in touch with a few of the guys. I, I sort of made a decision pretty quickly, though, that once I was out, I didn't want to be one that was hanging around or, you know, on, on the, the sidewalk, so to speak. I've been to a few past players days, and, and they're always good fun. But, um, you know, one thing about St Kilda is they've got a really good link with their past players now. And obviously, you know, we all know the tragic story about um, Spartan. I suppose that's unified that group again. And just to watch the the raw um, pain that some of those guys are still going through now, um, well, I think make that group really strong as it moves forward. So, look, I'm hell-bent on getting down to a couple of um, couple of uh, functions throughout the course of the year, and I still barrack for them. My kids are mad St Kilda supporters, so I, just, I have no choice. So... Let's hope they've had a bit of a bumpy road um, so far this year. But as we've seen with previous St Kilda teams, you know, you can turn it around pretty quickly and they, they don't lose their talent, these guys. So, oh, yeah, I think we'll bounce back this weekend, actually, in a hostile environment. Beautiful. And your, your coaching and playing journey post St Kilda? Yeah, I, um, I moved around a bit. I went over to Tassie for work and ended up playing in the VFL and my body was starting to get a bit shot to be honest with you so but that was good fun it was you know really good um culture and it was all part of the tassie development over there and we'll we'll play in vfl footy in front of crowds of you know 15 17 000 people you know we had jason cripps was over there and jordan thoring and trent bartlett you know benny beams we had some wonderful players as well as some homegrown guys 
I then come back, um, played at North Heidelberg, then had to move away for work, and then uh, finished up back at North Heidelberg. My last year of playing was in 2005, and um, managed to to play in a senior premiership there. So it's the last, still the last Division One premiership that North Heidelberg have won. So um, I'm hell bent on you know being a part of the next one moving forward. So love me coaching. I um you know it's probably the best way that I can play now is through the through the eyes of my players and I, I really enjoy it and um you know everything I do outside of work and my kids is is for the players so I um you know I give them everything that I possibly can bit of a, a different one for the the last one for me mate but there's there's always a lot of talk about you know is there too many Victorian clubs and you know should north move or merge or yeah. you know are they going to fold St Kilda there's always those those sorts of talks but you said earlier that you're a diehard yeah. Fitzroy fan so you've you've gone through that as a as a fan what what did that mean to you at the time and and what would you say to you know fans of those clubs that are always being talked about so, as you know, so mergers or, that is or a great question because in 1995 when Fitzroy played their last game people will remember or might not remember who that was against. Their second last game was Richmond at the MCG. And Fitzroy's last game of AFL, VFL footy was actually against Frio at Subi Oval. So we actually flew in. We played Sydney in Sydney the night before. I was um, the emergency. We flew back into Perth and because our cars were parked at Subi Oval, obviously the game being on, I wasn't sure if I would get there in time, but I actually... It's another day I remember really clearly, and it was a super sad day. I went and sat up in the the top deck of the stands. I just come through the Eagles Subiaco race and um, watched the last probably ten or twelve minutes of the game. And I actually watched my side die that day. And that's to be really harsh, but you know the club that I'd supported all my life actually was finished, was um, to be no more. And, and the sad part about it, and I, I wish the AFL had probably planned it better, was that there was only 40 or 50 diehard Fitzroy supporters there. So that was a really sad moment, you know, on the back of, you know, a club that was um, pretty iconic in the league. I mean, you know, they were right up there in premierships. I mean, they didn't win one since 44, but up until then, you know, they, they were leading the pack, I think, and then had some wonderful sides in the 80s and 90s and, um, you know, probably should have won, you know, it's easy to say should have won one, but they're certainly good enough to be around the mark. It just didn't work out for them. So that was probably the one um, other day that was um, really heartbreaking, Nick, to be honest with you. So just last one to... On yourself, basically, to give you a, a, a feel of how you felt about everything. Would would you take? I mean, I'd I'd say your sixty games with us were quite impactful. Would you take that sixty games with the, having that impact you had over one hundred and fifty games? Just yeah, not 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 being such a a big name and yeah. Would, is it, which one would you sort of go? Yep, that that's what I'm yeah, happy. I'd, with. I'd be happy. With, I'm happy with the sixty. It was my dream. I, I went the long way to get onto a list. Um, you know, I went the long way to debut. I went the long way then to be a regular senior player. So I'd played a lot. I'd done a lot of hard yards before that. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, like I said before, I knew my time was up at the end of 2000. 
and I had no problems with that. And I feel like I can walk away with my head held up. Would have been nice to, to obviously win a big one. Um, would have been something to cherish for the rest of our lives. But um, in saying that, you know, you, you've got to be there and it's okay. It's actually okay to be there and get beaten. Um, it's a tough one, um, but it just shows you how hard it is to get there. Well, Saints fans loved you, and 97 was one of our most enjoyable years of footy, as much as it ended in, in heartbreak, and you were one of the major reasons why that was the way that it was, and we appreciate you joining us, and as we said, there'll always be a, a soft spot amongst Saints fans, so good luck for uh, for the journey going forward, and thank you for joining us today. Yeah, you're great, man, guys. Keep up the good work, and um, yeah, anytime I can help you out, I'd love to be a part of it again. Go Saints. We don't want this trend to continue and we have to address it. The game tells us we have to play, you know, combative footy and we're not measuring up and we're not consistent in this space and we can't, you know, whether we've had five days off or six or, you know, Rowan Marshall's in or he's out, it doesn't matter. It's it's to every person that puts on a Saints jumper to make sure that we follow through and, and get that right and that's something that we'll be focused on. Um, you know, it's a long season and we need to rebound but we need to get this part of our game right because, you know, if we don't, we'll be, you know, we'll be chasing opposition teams and we'll have to defend for a long period of time and um, that's what was disappointing tonight was when we just didn't fall, we just fell right away. So, um, again, poor performance and we'll have to bounce back. But, um, yeah, Port Adelaide, nine, ten days. Players will be, um, you know, doing their utmost and uh, we'll get back to the footy club tomorrow and go through a pretty stern review in how we went about it. But, um, yeah, disappointing. Jason Heatley was our special guest uh, this week. As you heard from him a few moments ago, kicked over 170 goals across the course of his career, but 73 in that unforgettable 1997 season, seven in the preliminary final. One of the great individual performances in the final and one of St Kilda's great nights. We looked to Port Adelaide, uh, where it was one of our great nights of last season, probably in our best two to three victories of uh, recent times. It would be another one if we could get a result here. Port Adelaide were pretty good against Carlton on the road at the MCG last week. They were nice and polished. A lot of small forwards, despite the fact that Dersmer and Butters are out of that team injured. They got a couple of knocks in, in Houston and, and Hartlett out of that game, but the expectation is that they'll probably both play. We think that Marshall and Jones will return for us. Ryder should play VFL this week with an Ida returning against Hawthorne. Uh, James Frawley's about a week away from playing in the twos. Uh, Dan Hanabry is listed as about a month off, uh, but that's obviously with the renewal of that injury. And Deary maybe five to six weeks away and Gresham out for the season. So, And Webster is a test. So heard a groin against Richmond, but not immediately ruled out. So given the way teams are done these days, we won't find out until Saturday, but he's still somewhat in the mix after being subbed out of last week's game. But your gut feel is it? Maybe not an interstate trip, although it is a what a ten day break or something like that going into the game. So that gives him a chance. Uh, if the, the the two changes that are logical two changes, which are Marshall and Jones, I would imagine HC changes are simply a reverse of, of last week, and that it's Hunter and Dunstan that go out of the side. Marshall and Jones play. I mean, there's plenty of guys again that could be dropped, but would you just keep it as simple as that? Well, Webster, I think. If he goes out, where, yeah, yeah. I think, does, I think, does he get replaced by Long the sub? Possibly, possibly. Um, 
it's yeah, it's a gonna be one of those ones that at Port Adelaide are, uh, and they have Charlie up forward, and then they have small forwards, and that's Correct. where they're, they're very dangerous. Um, but in saying that, Georgiades last week he plays as a reasonably large forward, so um, it, it's on the ground they can be very dangerous. So they're smaller forwards that can uh, smaller defenders that can run and keep up with their with the Robbie Grays and um, Fantasia and that sort of thing. They're, they're going to be key to winning this game. Um, so, yeah, whether Long does come straight in and, yeah, I mean, that we, I don't think we have any word on Webster as yet because I don't think he's – it didn't look good. Um, but The yeah. club media report of the injury thing that comes out on the AFL website every Tuesday. Ours came out on Wednesday this week, a little bit later than normal. It said that Webster was a test, in, and in the write-up, it said that they would they would give him until Saturday. So it's it's not a he's out for a month type injury. It's a touch and go. So um, yeah, if he misses, he'll only miss this one. Yeah, definitely. Hunter will be out for Marshall. That's that's mm-hmm. that's your absolute. But yeah, the other way around, it's just going to be a it's just going to be a matchup thing. I think looking who. I don't think they're going to have have any changes, as you're saying. Their injuries should be fine, so I, I don't see them changing much unless one of their previously injured players has a miraculous comeback. So they'll go in pretty much as they were last week. Um, but again, it's going to be one of those, as I said against Melbourne, defenders don't put it on top of their head. Alia, Alia, um, and uh, what was the other one? Uh, Jonas, two yeah, key defenders that will pick us off. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, they're. Well, they're the two main key defenders. They're just going to pick off every single ball if we just sit it up on their heads. So using the ball this week is going to be the key. So whether we maybe put Long back into the middle as we did previously last year mm-hmm. and use him as a, a bit of a run and get, get it just that little bit further up the field for that last kick over to, def- over to tall defenders and try to get the... Either a few more, a few more midfield goals, or yeah, we've re- we're really going to have to hit targets this week. It's it's it, that's going to be one of the real keys. So the good ball users, what we really need in there. I think you're both right in that the the squad, how the squad shapes up, is really dependent on whether Webster's good to go or not. Um, yeah, he'd be the obvious, obvious. If, if he's not right, then obviously Jones comes in. I think you're right that Long starts back on on the field and the the sub is probably a Dunstan or, or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting one. I, I remember thinking when we played them in Adelaide last year, that, you know, for, for a decade or so, we go to Adelaide looking to play Port and you think we can't beat them. We, we don't win in Adelaide. And, and especially since the, the move to Adelaide Oval, we just don't win at the at Adelaide Oval. Um, and the, the fact that we won there last year, you know, under pressure, they they were unbeaten at the time, um, and uh, and we went over and, and knocked them off and, and beat Adelaide in, the, in that same kind of week period as well. I think gives gives this squad a lot of confidence that it's it's not just we can't win in Adelaide anymore. Um, you know, we know we know we can win over there. We know we can beat them even when they're playing really good footy. We know we can beat them, and and that in itself, you know, gives them a bit of belief and a bit a bit of confidence coming into the game. But you're right, H. I think that the way that their backline set up for those intercept marks and intercept possessions across half back 
you know, Alira Alira has been a huge in for them. That he just fits what they what they do so perfectly, and and is probably the steal of of the trade period or the player movement period, um, because he's he's perfect for them. He can pitch it a bit in the ruck when when they need a, a chop out, uh, but other other than that, he reads the ball and reads the flight of the ball amazingly well, and his disposal out of halfback is is really good. He can run up and play on the wing and and you know push forward a little bit as well and, and impact. Um, and so you're right. You, we've we've got to be really sharp in our our ball movement forward to center and and not just drop it on the heads of those guys like we like we were doing you know against Melbourne with Steve May and um, and and some of the the Bombers defenders as well. Um, you know we we've got to really ramp up that ball movement and, and our execution of of fundamentals because I think that's one thing that that we really struggled with last week is under pressure executing you know basic handballs, short passes, um, hitting up targets and, and goal kicking. You know, we, we've got to, we've got to really start executing those fundamentals a lot better. If we, if, if we want to you know, get the season back on track and, and there's no better time to start that than, than this week when, you know, you, you have no other option because if you don't, then we're going to get flogged. Yeah. That start off thing last year when we won two games in Adelaide in five days came off the back of, Probably our season low point the week before when we had that horror loss to Fremantle when we led Absolutely. by 40 points or whatever it was. So um, it, we, we weren't flying when we went there last year. So that was able to really launch us. We won four in a row and, and jumped into the top four and, and stayed in the eight for the rest of the season on the back of that. So we need this to be similar. The draw doesn't get all that much easier. We got Hawthorne the week after, which we would start favourites in, but nothing's easy. But then it's Geelong and teams like that. Uh, who aren't flying either, but got to get back on track at some stage. I mean, if, if they get beaten in the game, they can still recover. But even if they get beaten in the game, they've got to find a way to indicate that their heads are in the right place and that, you know, that the attitude and the competitiveness is where it needs to be. But if the competitiveness is where it needs to be, then absolutely they can win. Uh, absolutely they can. Um, we've seen them do it before. We've seen, you know, We've seen that St Kilda can mix it with those types of sides and we've seen how good they are when Marshall plays well. When we beat them last year, Marshall and Ryder kicked four goals between them. So it won't be Marshall and Ryder this time, but hopefully they can you know, step up and find a couple more avenues to go. Whether Higgins coming into the side who didn't play last year for us, obviously can find a couple, Crouch to give you a bit more midfield depth uh, than we didn't have when we played Port Adelaide there last year. He'll, he'll play when Gresham did last time. So yeah, there there are opportunities to, to get the job done uh, against a, a very good side. But Dersma is important to their forward line. He's not there. Uh, Butters is an important player. He's not there. So there are opportunities uh, to expose them. Obviously, guys like Patton and Geary would be handy against those small forwards. But that's where the challenge sits on, whether it be Webster or Long or Caulfield uh, or whoever it ends up, that, that whether Clark goes back again, whatever it happens to be. They're the challenges, but uh, that's what awaits us in the form of Port Adelaide this week, I guess. We we, we talked about fundamentals and, and stuff, and and we spoke to someone earlier who who was you know one of the best executioners of, of a fundamental skill in terms of goal kicking, and and something that could can clearly help us at the moment is our is our conversion rate, and you know you look at a guy like Max King, and you, you can't put it all on him because you know he's still a kid. And he's still learning his craft, but there's clearly he has the ability to to be a superstar in this game. Um, and the one thing that kind of is, is the knock on him is is that goal kicking. And you know there were some key moments in that first half last week against Richmond where you know he kicks kicks one or two of those, 
I think he, he kicked two two points in the first half. Yeah. Um, if he if he kicks those, all of a sudden you, you go in a quarter time, not just a point up, but ten points up or, or whatever. And and at halftime, you know things things are closer, and and you know it's not as it's not as um, as easy to drop your heads because you're closer. What does Max King have to do to get that under control? And there's discussion around how he twirls the ball in his run up, and there's a whole lot of things that you could do. But maybe, maybe it's as simple as getting someone like Jason Heatley down to training. He's a coach now. Get him down to training and just have a one-on-one session with him about the fundamentals of goal kicking. I think his action is okay, but I think he he's either too casual on the approach or he leans back a bit when he kicks. But the actual ball drop, there's not a lot wrong mm. with that. The way he holds the footy, there's not a lot wrong with that. But yeah, it just appears to be a little bit too casual on the uh, on the approach. Whether he takes it a bit, not not takes it easy. It's not a lazy kicking action, but just for whatever reason, he doesn't get as balanced as he as he needs to be. So, and the frustrating part was that the two he missed were basically in the identical spot to the one he actually kicked. So, yeah, I, I think it is fundamentally. I mean, obviously, Plugger is probably harder to get, but someone like Jason Heatley had to come down and and have a chat. Um, might even put that to him and say, mate, give him a call and they should certainly listen. Even Ruffy, you would think, would be someone mm. to be working on that with him fairly fairly closely. Well, like you said, athletically, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with his action. He's as, as fluid and yeah. you know, his action is, is as good as anybody. But it's those little things and and I don't know whether it makes any difference or not, but I'm, I really hate the ball twirl in the in the run-up. Yeah. I think it just takes some of the focus of, off what he's got to do and, and what that action is and, and what the you know, what the ultimate goal is, which is to put the ball through the big sticks because you're thinking about doing other things with your hands and you know, your focus ultimately isn't isn't where it's got to be. But um, I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But yeah, I, just, I think it couldn't hurt just to, to set him up with with someone like a Heatley or, or a Plugger or whoever that is, um, just, to, just to kind of have a one-on-one session and and get that right. Because he starts kicking, kicking some of those, you know, it, it straightens up straightens us up a whole lot more and and obviously you want to kick more goals than points that's just a, a key fundamental yeah i mean i mentioned to someone saying go back and look at how plugger held the ball the ball was dead still every time he, he walked in the ball never moved until it hit his boot and he dropped it low kicked it hard and it sailed through every time just about so it it yeah flicking the ball around and I, there's again a couple of close-ups on him as he's walking and he's doing it. I've gone a couple of times, oh, he's going to miss this one. And then he has, and it's just like, you can just see that, I don't know whether it's a nervousness thing or or, or why. There's there's some players that really do it, and like they, they'll do it right up to the second they're about to kick the ball almost. And mm. the amount of times it misses, you just go, I don't know, you just settle yourself. Settle yourself more than what you yeah. are. It's it's It can't be good. Spot so, on, spot yeah. on about about Plugger. I was watching last night on uh, on the Saints FC archive YouTube channel. I was watching the, the Saints Eagles game at Rabin from '92, and Plugger kicked seven, and um, seven in the first half, I think it was. And just the way the way that he focused himself from the moment that he he took the mark or took possession to the moment of kicking the ball, eyes, hands, ball, dead straight, never wavered. In, in what that line was, you know, where you're aiming for, how you hold the ball, it's it's dead straight, it's still, there's no movement, there's no shaking, flipping or whirling or anything. It's just the focus is on putting the ball on the boot and drop punt straight through the middle. And it, I wonder how many times they get to do that. I mean, obviously back in those days, they could have 600 shots of training. They probably don't let them yeah. now, but 
Um, yeah, just just something like that. I mean, he's probably he could have kicked 20 more goals in his young career already. I would say across last year and, and this year, and you don't want it to, you know. I think Cameron Mooney even said, um, and not that he was he was a bit that way as well, where he could miss some shots, but he said Max King could rob himself of 300 goals in yeah. his career with that type of action, and that's probably not too far wide of the mark. If he could end up kicking, you know, he looks like he'll be a 500 goal player. You know, he could be an 800 goal player. It's just one of those things. But yeah, I mean, he's there's so much to like. He's doing plenty of things right. He's he's marking, he's positioning, he's competing, his ground level skills, his pace for someone so big. Uh, freak of a, of a talent we just got to get this part of it uh, this part of it right I mean against West Coast even in that match winning game he probably should have kicked eight maybe nine yeah. in that game he just dominated ended up kicking five goals three and one out in the full should have kicked every one of those shots and yeah last week he should have had three at half time he took a one handed mark on the lead at below his knees which is phenomenal <laughs> And then missed the shot straight afterwards. So you, you look that, at it and you think the high and the low. Um, even when the ball's in flight, sometimes you can tell when he's going to mark it. That one in the first quarter when he was third in line, you're like, yeah, he'll mark that. But then he'll miss it. You'd sort of, um, if he could just, you know, that's probably the one thing at the moment stopping him from being, um, you know, a dead set superstar even at a young age. He just has he just has freakish ability for someone his size. And and talk about the second one that he missed. Um, we kind of went for the contest, spilled spilled the mark or in the contest, whatever, and then followed up at ground level, weaved through three defenders, you know, paddled the ball on the ground, picked it up and snapped snapped on on his right foot and and missed that. Even that, like the ability for someone who's yeah. two hundred and two centimeters to compete at ground level like that and and move through contest and through congestion um, inside forward fifty, where and you, you, you know, we know about Richmond's forward fifty pressure or defensive pressure inside inside 50 um for him to be able to do that for, for anyone to be able to do that let alone a guy at his size and and um you know that if if he gets his kicking right then he could be anything yeah absolutely and hopefully sooner rather than later we look to port adelaide a sunday night game which is a an awkward time slot so it might ruin our following week or it might kickstart us into a, a cracking monday Three and three, if you win that game, doesn't look too bad based on everything that's happened over the course of the season. If you square your ledger away, still very much in the fight on the back of that stirring West Coast comeback a couple of weeks ago. But we look to Port Adelaide, hopefully with a couple of soldiers back. Big thank you to Jason Heatley for joining us, and we'll catch you again next week looking towards round seven.